What an honor, what a joy, what a privilege it is to worship the Lord together. Welcome again here at Highland Church in Jamaica, New York, and around the world. As we prepare to hear God's word, Pastor Subash is coming to share the message God has placed upon his heart. Be settled in God's family. Glory be to his name. Give the Lord a clap offering. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Welcome, welcome, precious people, especially those that are coming back and welcome once again together with the many that have come back for a while and welcome those that are watching we want to greet you in the name of the lord jesus and thank you for tuning our way and to be able to uh, be part of this worship service uh, if you can want to share this whether you're on facebook or youtube call friends and tell them about this they could be part of this wonderful experience of worshiping the lord god we want to continue on with the series called The Burden of the Lord, distinguishing from man-made or man-induced burden, or whether it be burden given by Satan, or whether it be burden that uh, religion or others would put upon ourselves. But this is a burden that God gives. God giving you burden? Yes. But this burden is unlike any other burden that Satan or anything gives. It drives us closer to God. It is a call, and it is what God puts into a heart for, whether it be in the natural, whether in terms of action and destiny or ambition and goal, but far greater, what I'm talking about is this burden that accentuates our ministry, no matter what you are being called to. I won't be able to go through all of this reviewing because we don't have time, particularly we want to close early so that the intercessors ministry would be out for the prayer walk around this place. But if you want to catch up on, go back and all of the series are available, whether it's in our website or whether Facebook or whether YouTube, you can get all of this from the beginning of the series. What I wanted to do was begin last week with what would be from, Isa, from Psalm 68. And I want us to turn to verse 19. This is a very important passage from based on my message this morning. And here in the King James Version, it says, Blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with benefits, even the God of our salvation. Salah or just pause and think about it. But in other translations, including the Amplified Version, the word is, blessed be the Lord who daily burdens us with benefits. That is great. That God gives us benefit not only in this world, but much more. The benefit that follows us for eternity, that is the burden that God gives to us. A burden for his cause, a burden that fulfills our testimony, a burden that causes us to walk in the path that the Lord calls us, a burden for prayer, a burden for reaching out to the lost, a burden whether you might think it's mundane, but whether it be in the house, ushering, or whether in the security, or in any aspect of the work that God gives, it's a peculiar, particular, specialized burden. God and you, and you have been called to this specific task, and there is a burden that you see God, a burden that begins the beginning of a wonderful ministry, unique, 
special and yet so real. So we began with a couple of things. We completed four. The first thing is chapter 68 and verse 1. The burden that helps us to see God arise. It says, let God arise, and simply meaning let go, and let God. This is very important. The burden calls you to let go of the negativity, of the impossible task, of what lies ahead as a problem or difficulty. Let go, and let God, no matter, no matter what you are going through, what you confront, whether it be the walls of Jericho or whether all the forces of the enemy, let go. Let God arise. Seeing God arise is the fulfillment of all that you are called to do in your prayers, in your reaching out, whether in the spiritual, whether in the solical, in terms of comforting and strengthening, or whether in the outreach. All of this is to see this burden, let God arise. It is to fulfill and to build the kingdom of God, not our own burden, not our own empire, but God and his kingdom arise. Number two, let his enemies be scattered, chapter six and verse, chapter 68 and verse one. What is important is to see the kingdom of God and see the darkness be scattered by the power of the kingdom. So we need to realize this is a direct confrontation, not like the Old Testament where it names people or nations. We're talking greater than that. That is powers and principality in high places. Places whether that connects literally people in this world, uses them as a puppet on the string, whether it be in the political or religious or economic circles, behind and right there behind the satanic forces, the principalities and powers and dominions of this uh, uh, evil empire that you and I have to confront it, we don't see, and it's not flesh and blood. So let God arise, and the other burden see deliverance. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, the God of this world has blinded that we would be able to stand and speak the truth and see people delivered to see. There are people who think they are doing God a service by being fanatics, extremists, killing people. And all religions have their share of these problematic people. But for us to realize that eyes are blinded and we need to pray in the name of the Lord that the enemies would be scattered. Number three, we talked about in verse three, uh, verse four. And what is important is, uh, verse three tells us, let us be together, let us be glad, and let us rejoice before the Lord, let them exceedingly rejoice. The burden of the world, the burden of Satan, the burdens that self-induce, and the burden of religion brings us to a place that we have emptied out. We have basically come to a place where we are totally done and uh, done with, and literally in a place where there's no joy, there's no happiness, and everything we do, it sort of dries out. 
Many a time Satan comes like the Pied Piper with his music. And we flock in and realize all that is promised is not the, exactly the opposite. And we are dry. There's no more song. There's no more worship. There's no more joy or gladness. And yet Paul says, even out of prison, and all of his epistles were written, he says, rejoice, I say unto you. And yet I say rejoice. Philippians 4, 4. What I like is, I want you to understand, Paul writes about the, like David did, our joy, like our salvation, is not dependent on the happenings. Happiness, maybe. But no matter what the circumstances, our joy is still there, even through the tough and difficult time. James and Peter writes to this, those that are persecuted and scattered by the enemy, saying that your joy is with you. Then we come to verse 4, that this burden causes us to worship. One of the things that self-induced burden does is causes a shipwreck. It causes us anything but worshiping God. And Satan particularly brings this burden. But the burden of the Lord helps us lean closer to the Lord in prayer. And so much more in worship and praise. That is what the benefit that we have. That he daily loads us, burdens us in this call. In this venture of God preparing us for a ministry deep in our hearts. And you are what you are in your call because of the burden in the natural. You are what you are in the spiritual because of the burden God gives you that called you in the specific ministry, unique ministry. And in the midst of all of this, there's yeah, challenge and yet your joy is still there. Not that you're going to be happy every day, but there's the joy of the Lord. And there is the joy plus with worshiping and praising. Sing unto God. Sing praises to his name. Extol him that rideth upon his, by his name, Jah. And that is the first words of the tetramagation that is simply Y-H-W-H, the unpronounceable and yet an awesome name of Yahweh. And the first is Yah. I am that I am. It's simply recognizing the awesomeness of God in loving him, praising him, singing. And what it does is in the thick of darkness, the burden of God causes you to sing praises, even like Paul and Silas, although they were chained and in stuck in the prison. Worshiping God even through challenging times uh, before Jericho. Worshiping God, even as David talked about, I will bless the Lord at all times, his praise shall continually be in my mouth. Sing unto God. Sing praises. And that is what the many benefits of the Lord does, not take us away, but deeper bring us in prayer and also in praise to the Lord. I want to dwell today with the fifth, and I will close with the fifth one, but there are a couple of points. Let me just go into this passage in verses 5 and 6. It says here in chapter 68, verse 5, A father of the fatherless 
and a judge of the widows is God in his holy habitation. God setteth the solitary in families. He brings out those which are bound with chains, but the rebellious dwell in a dry place. Listen to what it says. God set it. He set you up. In the situation that you have gone through, he put this burden. Every one of us have been in some solitary situation in life, strangers, lonely, troubled. But God set us up. The benefit is he's connected us to one another. He's connected us physically to a family or friends. But he's connected us to his body, the expression of what would be his body in the local as well as the universal church. And he sets, up, sets us up, even though we were solitary, into what would be the heavenly family. In fact, I want to just take a passage from Ephesians chapter 3, and reading from verse 14, he says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 15, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. In whom, of whom the whole family in heaven there's a whole lot of order in heaven. There is the celestial. There is the archangels. There's the cherubims. There is orders among heavenly hosts and heavenly angels and everything that when we go there we'll realize, whoa, nothing compared to the solemnity and the order in Solomon's temple or in his palace. But what you find is far beyond our understanding the magnificence and the awesomeness of these angelic and heavenly host. And yet, they do not have the privilege like those in heaven that are the families of God in heaven, saved and redeemed by the blood of Jesus. No matter how awesome God has created angels, they worship the Lord. At the mention of his name, they bow down and fall. But there are people just going to the throne of God without losing the awesomeness of the holy, mighty God and the audacity of them coming before the throne and say, Papa, Abba, Daddy. That is not only in heaven. Listen to what it says in chapter 3 and verse 15. Of families in heaven and in earth is named. So even though you may not find so many passages about the family, it's alluded everywhere. And it's called the house of faith. It is called the household of faith. It is called the people of God together in the house. And the Old Testament talks about the house of God. And the New Testament talks about the house of God. The family of God coming together. So the first I will be talking about the father to the fatherless. Second, I would be talking about the solitary people. Third, I would be talking about the rebellious. The fourth, I would be talking about the family. The fifth, I would be talking about the church. The sixth, I would be talking about God's family. And last is ambassadors 
that we would bring in people that are solitary like we were once into a richer, fuller experience of the Father through Yeshua Messiah. So that being said, let's go to the first one, and that is in chapter 68 and verse 5, a father to the fatherless. If you can understand this amazing aspect of God, He's almighty, He's sovereign, and full of authority. God is who He is, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God. His words are immutable. He is the transcendent God that no one could be able to fully explain unless, of course, Jesus comes from the very bosom of the Father and speaks to us. And yet, our eyes will only be fully opened when we are in heaven. Even the great apostle could not describe the one on the throne in Revelation chapter 4, but a day will come because we will be as he is when he comes and we shall worship the Father. But what is so important is, without losing any wit of his great qualities and characteristic of who he is, we come to know him as Abba, Father. Jesus' expression of the Father, although in the Old Testament, all of that characteristic name and the, what it means, with Yahweh and Abraham talking about Yahweh that is provider. And then to Moses being introduced, Yahweh, and going all the way down with not only Yahweh, but Yahweh hyphenated the many aspects of what would be the experiential understanding in that particular situation comes to us ultimately in the New Testament, Yah, sure. Yahweh who saves culminating in the final revelation of the greatness of God, and that is what it says in chapter 68 of Psalm and verse 19. The benefit and talking about from the God of our salvation, Yahshua, Selah, just think about it. So I want you to understand, while I'm talking about the Father, yes, he's the God of all flesh. And in some resemblance, people can say he's a father, and yet not that intrinsic way where they have an experiential understanding. It's simply a title. He revealed himself in so much a way to the people in the Old Testament. But the fullness of it comes when Jesus brought about the cross, his atonement, Bridging the gap that we have a relationship, what we had lost in the Garden of Eden, and now we can know him and love him. Not only that he's God, eternal, immortal, all of that, with all his titles, but to know him in an intimate way and to relate to him as a father, the way Yeshua Amasiah relates to the father. So when you look at this, what is so interesting is, like a father... Psalm 103, verse 13, as a father pitied his children. You know, fathers, they don't look down in judgment and scolding or beating up, and Satan brings his idea, and the world brings that God, the father, is just waiting up there to smack us with a big iron rod. 
On the contrary, like every father, even though we're imperfect, we'd say, oh, no. I still pity you. I'll come and help you. We have a father like a father who pities his children. There's a passage in the book of Isaiah, chapter 64 and verse 8, that explains in a little way. It says here, but now, Lord, you are our father. We are the clay. You are a porter, and we are all the works of your hand. That is his priority to call us as children of God because of what the Lord did. When you again go to this passage, we don't have a lot of time to run through the Old Testament. But the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 2 and verse 10, fully expresses what would come to the finality 400 years later, the silent years, and then comes the expression, the words of, of the angel. But what does he say? Are we not all one father? Of course, this is, God is speaking to the children of Israel. You have stolen, you have d done things, and they say, what have we done? And God says, this is what you've done. You wouldn't do that to your boss. You wouldn't do that to your father. You wouldn't do the other. And yet you have done unto me. You have not understood. And he's expressing this. But I want you to understand, when you think about the Lord Jesus, yes, he uses the word God, in that sense, he takes our place, fulfilling Psalm 22, verse 1, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And that is what he cries out, one of the seven words on the cross. But all the other time, it is in relationship, an unbroken relationship, when he calls the great mighty God, not Elohim, or all of the experience of great mighty God, eternal. No, he says, Abba. And he teaches us that way. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9, he taught us how to pray, and it's called the disciples' prayer. It begins with, O thou great Elelion, mighty everlasting. No, he just simply says, Our Father brings you right to the presence of the one that sits on the throne, angels bowing all over, left, right, and forward, across the universe, across the cosmic galaxy. And you have the audacity, yes, you do, the privilege of saying, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be though your name. I want you to realize how profound, how awesome that is. When you look at the number of times in the epistle, you find this expression. Uh, say, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3. This is from God the Father. The blessing, the peace, and all of the salutation. Grace from God our Father. But comes succinctly said in, chapter, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 6. We have one God the Father of all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus, by whom are all things, and we by him. One God, and that is God the Father. It's so beautifully done. It's fully expressed. In fact, I like the way that 
Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 20 speaks in Paul telling us, giving thanks always for all things unto God the Father. In the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. He's God. But we come knowing him as a father because of Jesus. Prayers can be made to the Lord Jesus, but it is really in the Bible you find in the New Testament. Pray to the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because of all what the Lord Jesus Christ did, only on the ground of the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ can we come before and we can say, Father! And he listens. He hears. Which father or mother will not listen and distinctly hear the sound and the name? He's not talking about everybody. She's not talking. It's me. Even if you don't mention the name, Dad! Mom! Your ear prick up. That's my child. He listens to your prayer. So this is important. The first expression, the burden, and the benefit is we are drawn closer to the Father. And it is He, when we were such lonely people, that we have been drawn to the family, God, and we come to know God as our Father. Many people miss out in the Christian circle that the reason why Jesus died on the cross is that He would introduce us to one that we never had fellowship with. We may have done it in terms of religiously, right, uh, ritually, in terms of types of ways and means outside the, outside the boundaries, but never into the inner court. And yet the high priest didn't know him as the father. But we come into the center of God's throne because of what Jesus did. The solitary has been drawn into a family, God's family, knowing him, the father. We say, Daddy, Father. Secondly, when you turn to chapter 68 and verse 6, the solitary, God sets the solitary in family. God sets you and me in a family. It is in terms of one a body, a family, literally, or group. One of the worst situations to be in was the basic needs in every heart today. The one to belong. And one to belong when you don't belong to what would be a family, or the laws of a family, they will end up going to a pseudo family, even if it were gangs and to do things. Even if it be religious cult and to kill people saying it is religion, it is nothing but Satan. But there is a desire, an innate desire, even from the children, I want to belong. Church is not a place to go to. Church is a place to belong. A home is a place to belong. And no matter what we go through, there are in many ways, society, we become part of it. So the first thing what God does is the solitary. And when you think about the solitary, the Bible talks about the orphans and the widows and those that are lost, those that are lonely, those that are simply disqualified because of their color, because of their race, because of their status, because of their class, because of whatever out ostracized 
And yet God says, he sets the solitary in families. You talk about a prisoner in chain. You talk about someone that has been disgraced and moved away from the family. The doors have been shut because of everything he or she has done. And yet God's eyes are on him. Even though chained could be in terms of habitual, chained to that terrible habits, or hate, or lies, God reaches out to the solitary. And many a times we wonder, how could that person be saved, let alone a preacher, let alone gifted? God takes a solitary, the rebellious as well. Oh, his marvelous grace. So when you think about the solitary, we're going back to chapter 68 and verse 6, he sets the solitary in families. You don't need to be outside the grace of God. There are times even good people feel so lonely and solitary. You know, this man, Elijah, had a marvelous experience in First Kings chapter 18. On top of the mountain. What a victory at Mount Carmel. By the time you come to chapter 19 and verse 10. Here is this cry. I've been very jealous for, the, for God, for the children of Israel. And I, even I am left. They come to seek my life. I'm all alone, Lord. I'm a solitary wanderer. And goes on to repeat the same thing in verse 14. When God says, where are you? He says in verse 43, I've been very jealous, and goes on to say, I, even I, only am left alone. That feeling of me, my poor me, I'm the only one, a solitary man, no one else with me. In the New Testament, we call it the spiritual orphan children. Even though they have parents, even though they have a loving God, even though they have a marvelous Savior, they still feel orphans. The enemy does a number of them. There are people in a very happy home, they feel that sense of orphan spirit, that they go out in the world, trade their flesh. For what? Their parents would do anything, and yet they are backsliding because deep in their heart, they didn't feel that belonging. And there are people in the church as well. You know, when you go through this, there was a time in David, Life when he was a hot potato to touch. Even his parents couldn't stand close to him because of Saul. And they were worried for political convenience and political correctness. People won't want to own up to Christians who are being brought down. Oh, I would lose my status. And yet I wanted to understand, take a lesson from these good people, the Jews and the Muslims and the Hindus. They stand up for their people. A little thing, they will make a big noise and make you pay a price for it. Christians, anything will do. Oh, he's not from my background, from my denominations. My friend, they're your brother and sister. One day in heaven, you'll have to sit and see them face to face. For convenience sake, and that's what David's father did and his mother did. So here is the solitary cry of David in Psalm 27 and verse 1. Even though my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will take me up. 
Psalm 27, verse 10. The Lord will take me up even though people forsake you. Sometimes the church will forsake you. Sometimes your family will forsake you. Turn to the Lord and know the Father. Yes, he's God. You know him as God. You go down and throw the water on your head, knock your head down and kneel down, but you do not know him as a father. You can. He will pick you up, and that's what he did. The lifter up of your head, and because of Yeshua, a Messiah, you can know him and love him as a father. You know, when you go through this passage, you find this feeling, an orphan, and yet I want you to understand, God is bringing the solitary into families and drawing them closer, literally in a family, where you find maybe a husband, a wife, you have children, or maybe it is a set of group of people that is your kith and kin, but far greater into a home may not be the perfect expression of the family in heaven, but a family here on earth, which is the local body, the expression of the Lord's body in this local church, wherever it is in any place in the world. Number three I want to talk about is the rebellious. When you go down to Psalm chapter 68 and verse 6, even the rebellious who, who are chained, bound in chain, and dwell in a dry land. So sad. Man should never have been, but is the rebellious spirit of the Antichrist, the Lucifer. He promised them the stars. In fact, this is the exact promise to the first man and woman in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 5, you shall be like gods. And there's a lot of people, even in the charismatic circle, says you are gods. My friend, there's one God we worship, and we know only he's God. We are human, and at no time will we, we be God, but we belong to the family of God as sons and daughters of God. We have an intrinsic relationship with the Almighty. You can call him El Elyon, you can call him Yahweh, you can call him Elohim, but what a wonderful way because of Jesus. All that greatness, omnipotent, omniscient, and yet we come through and say, Daddy, Papa, Father, the solitary has been destined and set into a family that we call Father. And as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pities you. What you find is, the feeling of rebellion, beginning in chapter 3. And you can see that it happens even good people. There was a man, head and shoulder above everyone else. A man that God put him as the first king of Egypt, of Israel. A man that was loved by prophet Samuel, that he prayed right away till the end of his ministry. A man that had great promise, but everything wrecked because rebellion began to grow. Rebellion in so many ways. Uh, we all have that rebellious trick, but don't let the old man conquer you. Always be crucified, so to speak, in the flesh, and speak the truth. 
and let God come in and break everything that break, tries to break us. But Saul wouldn't. His jealousy, his hatred all the more grew. But Samuel had to tell him something. In 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 23, rebellion is like a witchcraft. But Saul was in the witch or a wizard or practicing witchcraft. You are. Rebellion is tantamount to witchcraft. So there is the rebellion. You know, many a times we look at this prodigal son. What is it that he lacked? He had everything, and yet he wanted his father's goods and enjoy his life. A rebellion! But you know, when you turn to Luke chapter 15 and verse 14, when everything left him, all the fun and laughter ceased, when he had no more money, friends just parted company. That's the world. That is the systems of this world. As long as you have it there with you, they laugh with you. When you cry, you're crying alone. This man comes to himself, a man bound in chain of habit, ingratitude, and yet God brought him close. And what happened is he came to himself, and the rest is God just turns. It's first to human responsibility that sparks the divine sovereign God to reach out. He waits so you would turn around. And even before he could make the whole swing, the father went running. That is the picture of God, the father embracing you, clothing you, putting authority of the ring and the sh shoes of peace upon you. Number four, I want to talk about the family. God draws the solitary in a family. Let's read that in Ephesians once again in chapter 3 and verse 15. Simply says in Ephesians 3 and verse 15, in whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Earlier talks about God the Father. Oh, there's nothing like being into the family of God, to know him, to love him, and he sets us into the family. You know, you talk about the nuclear family, and you have folks who found a home, a spouse, and those others who did not, but I will talk about that, those that are single, those that are basically come from broken home, those that have a blended home, that have a mix-up home, it's all part of our heritage after the fall. So it's not that you are better than the others or the others worse than you. It's simply, it's part of it. You have your own faults. But that man or that woman has a situation where, unlike you, he may go through. You may have something that they don't have. We're all equal. Sinners. The Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 6, we, like sheep, have gone astray. All of us, no one accepted, have walked away like sheep going after. But I want you to realize, Jesus was born into a nuclear family. And yet, you find Joseph, his stepfather. Of course, God eternal was his father. 
born to a virgin named Mary, and he had to do what he was called to do first in the natural. You find about the Lord Jesus Christ, obviously people tell us that Joseph, the wonderful father, died early. So Jesus stepped in to take the responsibility, one that would provide for his mother and for his family. One who does not is called an imposter and a false disciple. The responsibility until the last of his step-brother or half-brother were able to today in world out of school or college, then at the age of 30, into the fullness of what would be the father's business. So right up to 30, it was the father or the stepfather's business as a carpenter to sustain. And then the moment you find it's a change into what it was it eternal for what he came for, the burden for which he came for. So when you read Luke chapter 2 and verse 49, he says something, I must be about my father's business. The father's business with carpentry is over. This is his father in heaven's ministry. There's a big difference. Both of them are important. Here's a nuclear family, and there's a sense of responsibility as being the oldest. Though being the son of God, learned obedience through the things he went through. You know, what is interesting is you see the comparison between a family here on earth and a family in heaven. In Mark chapter 3, verse 31... Jesus is preaching out, and of course, his mother and his brethren were outside. And somebody says, your mother and brethren are outside. He's not putting them down. But using this analogy of a family, he comes to this beautiful expression of a greater family. So in verse 34, listen to what he says. Who then are my, father, my mother and brother? And he turns and said, behold. These are my father. Yes, they are in the natural, the nuclear family. But here is a spiritual family. My mother, my brother. That is why in the church we have the expression of saying Mother Margaret, Mother Loretta. And then you have children, you have fathers. And so it is so important for us to realize from what would be the natural family and then burdened into a greater what would be the spiritual family. Granted, you do find in the family, because of what took place in Genesis chapter 3, families are strained. Families have spots. Families have weakness. Just in case you think there's perfect family in the Old Testament, don't believe a word of it. The great Israel... The nation comes literally from the 12 sons of Jacob. What a dysfunctional family. You would not find a mixed up family like them. Two make a covenant with the neighbors. And while they are basically coming out of that situation of circumcision, which they cannot stand, they cannot take the sword, these two brothers, sons of Jacob, kill them. What? Making a promise before God, 
and then chopping their heads. There's nothing good about that. It is a family. And then finally in 34 or 35 Genesis, Jacob says, you have been a reproach. We are in danger. Let's get out. That is a dysfunctional, mixed-up family. No hope! And yet God took that dysfunctional family, however messed up they are, and I'm speaking to you, never give up on the family that God has given you. <laughs> Jacob was not a perfect father. Nor the two women and the concubines were no perfect mothers. There was competition. And when you have that competition, children grow up taking sides. But yet you find God reaches out, even Levi, even the oldest son, every one of them mess themselves. But when you come to the book of Revelation, there are 12 gates from the Old Testament, named after the sons of Jacob. 12 gates from the New Testament, named after the apostles. I want you to understand this. Messed up and what you call dysfunctional, God takes a solitary and sets them into families. I cannot tell you the number of times people have found not simply God, but a father while they were in prison, while their business went down, when they had a divorce, when they had whatever, terrible situation. You know, it's hard, and yet we need to read the Bible a little more carefully. There's no perfect family until we come to the perfect family in heaven. Don't get disheartened. Don't get upset. I've seen the greatest people having families that basically break down. That's not to give up on that. It happens because of humanity. Frailty comes from the Adamic sin, the fallen nature. You might say, oh, I have a better family. Yeah, but look at the mess you are in when it comes to the lies and to all the pride that you have, which is worse than any other things. Don't compare. No one's sin is greater. Everyone, we have like sheep fallen astray and gone after our own ways. So this may be not your cup of coffee, but that one is a poison you're drinking every day, ruining your soul and your salvation. You know, when you read between the lines, this is a great family. In fact, if Jesus, in a modern world, we say, want to go into a home and take off his socks and be relaxed in a home, everybody must have a home where you can just feel at home, away from a home. Where your words are not taken out of context because you know they will not misconstrue and make a big deal. The next day you are all over the Facebook and social media. This one said so. I did not say that way. The person has misunderstood and published it. Your life, your ministry is ruined because of someone that you thought was your home was not your home. You'll always have Judas running to make money out of you. But let me just say this. A wonderful family that Jesus goes to John chapter 11, verse 1. Martha, Mary, Lazarus. Have you seen three adults living in a family? Martha, where's your husband? Mary, where's your husband? Lazarus, where's your wife? There are people that are single and happy. There's nothing wrong about that. Oh, you missed the bus. There are others who have made themselves eunuch for the kingdom of God. Give them the respect due. They're not second-class citizens. 
You know, for many years I was a pastor in India and I would have the family marriage conference. When I came here, Pastor Wright was the senior pastor and asked him we should have this marriage ministry and the home and families. And so we did conferences for a couple of years until I got a call from a very precious ministry leader. I'm talking about she's gone to be with the Lord. She says, Pastor, I want to have a word with you. I said, come over. And so she came to my office and she said, you see, Pastor, have you seen me for any of these family conferences? I said, come to think about it, you were A-W-O-L, missing in action. She said, have you ever thought when you're talking about happy children, happy as well, blah, 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 there are those of us who are so pained that we look like second class, like we missed out something. I don't want to feel like a second class. I went back home and said, oh my God, she's great with the Bible. Something is wrong with her. She needs deliverance. Because I come from a very strong nuclear family, a generation of like you do, and we have those families. But in urban cities of America, because of a lot of situation that many of us never face back home, thanks to God, but there's a lot of temptation here. Drugs and that and this and, hey, fornication, adultery, these are all part of the culture that's acceptable today. And things that are alternate lifestyle, all of this is terrible. Until one day, though no fault of mine, I went through years and years of singleness. And then I learned a lesson not sitting up there and judging someone going through horrible. Like someone who is all lonely. I went through that and thank God for spiritual fathers that stood by my side and prayed. I preached not missing a Sunday for years. Bible study for years. Counseled people. Prayed for marriages when I was lonely but for the grace of God. You may be going through that. You are still a family. God loves you. This is so important. Give the Lord a clap offering. I want you to understand something very important. When you think about Paul, they say he was a widower, but yet Paul doesn't write about his family. You know about Peter and Peter's mother-in-law. Obviously, if you have a mother-in-law, you should have a wife. Nothing about that. But what Paul mentions, or the Bible mentions in Acts chapter 23 and verse 16, talking about his sister's son. What about his son? No mention. When Paul's sister's son heard of the lying in wait. So I want you to realize, Paul was not a second class. He's the first of the first. And yet, he was single. Nothing wrong with that. So it is a family that God brings us to and joins us to. I want to just say this, when God brings families together, he adds to the church, he adds different people, beyond color, beyond culture, beyond class, beyond status, he brings them all, and at the cross of Jesus Christ, we're equal. Next Sunday, I'll be talking, God willing, continuation, knowing that we are almost running short of time because of what we'd be doing today.
But let me just say this. I'll be coming to the next one called the church. Very important, which is the local expression of heavenly home. How imperfect it is, like marriage. And yet that becomes what would be the type, the symbol of the perfect union between Christ and the church. But I want you to understand, number one, it begins with the Father drawing the solitary. Number two, the solitary. Even the rebellious ones. Thirdly, into families, whether it's the nuclear family, messed up family, dysfunctional family, messed and totally broken up family. Don't give up. God is drawing and bringing them into families. You're not alone, not only in the spiritual, you're not alone in the emotional. You have people behind you, or you should be. In a time like this, when we'll be facing Thanksgiving, when we'll be facing Christmas and the seasons, open and let there be a chair for someone that have never experienced what you have taken for granted, and they would be the greatest. In fact, some of the greatest workers in the house of God are people who are single. They have the time. They have a heart, more than married people. And it's not because that's a second class. They, like Paul, are first class. Can you say amen? amen. God draws the solitary into families. And then I would Next Sunday, talk about the church, all oh, the rich variableness, the rich grace poured upon the local family, no matter how imperfect it is. You see, my friend, there's nothing like the church family. It's not like watching a television and having a cup of coffee and saying, I've been to church, my friend, you were there alone with your family. You're the same color, you're the same culture, you drink the same coffee, the same breakfast, and that's not a church there was a time that you could sit and say, it's church, it's watching a movie. The preaching of the gospel, it's, if you are in this locality and part of the church, you should be here, my friend. And experience the riches of the culture I'll talk about, not so much as what would be the homogeneous. We are all one kind, we're all the same color, we're all the same culture, we're all the same, we all wear the same tie. No, my friend, God brings various people, and he brings the fullest expression of heaven into the earth. And it is not so much a homogeneous, I will talk about it next Sunday, Romans chapter 16, 29 people, 29 different people, 18 cultures, 18 different countries in that one church. When you look at it, out of 29, just 10 are women, and the 19 are men. And yet I want you to understand, people write and tell me, you know, Pastor, how could you have a woman close in a word of prayer? Excuse me? Why not? We're not in the Old Testament. When you look at the book of Romans, 29 people, 19 men, three are leaders. Ten women, seven are leaders of the early church. Excuse me, there was an apostle too. No matter what theologians of the Western world will say. So the church must believe and recognize the ancient church of Jesus Christ. And not have disparity, not block people. Because the church is multi functional, multi 
culture, multiracial. That is what the church should be. You can't get that watching like you watch a movie from your home. Thank God there was a time we had to do it. Mad now, forsake not the assembling of yourselves. Who are yourselves? Different people that God has brought. Like I was a solitary, you were a solitary, she was a solitary. There are many others, that's where I will end the message, that needs to be brought into a finder family. And we're called ambassadors of the kingdom, ambassadors of the family, the family of God. Give the Lord a clap offering. Father, be with us today. If there be someone, O oh God, who feels lonely, and this pandemic, the demons, and the power of demons working to make people so alone, that there are people, O oh God, called the lone wolf, going out, O oh God, to kill, going out to destroy, some are losing their heart, some are losing their mind, some are losing, in fact, every joy that they have. But I pray, Father, that they would come together and be joined to you through Jesus. Being joined to Jesus is joining with the Father. And joining with the Father is being joined to the family, the expression of the family on earth, as it will ultimately be the family in heaven. I pray for people that are only God, that you, even those that are bound in chains, would be let loose and set loose and set in the family of God. That the prodigal, even the son, found the loving embrace of a father, the cloak, the ropes of righteousness, the ring, the ring of authority, the shoes of peace to go and be all that God has called him to be. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.